What is up, everybody? Welcome back to the channel. Uh, tonight, obviously, we're doing things a little bit different. Um, you already know, tonight we are having a panel discussion, and I'm not going to waste any time getting into it. I'm going to bring the panel on. We'll go through quick introductions, and we are going to get the show on the way here. So without further ado, I'd like to bring in the panel and welcome everybody to the show. Um, this evening is going to be a little different. I am not taking the reins of the show. This show will mostly be held and run by our buddy Hypoluxia uh, coming out of retirement one last time for everybody uh, from this community who wants to hear and talk to him. Um, maybe maybe we can convince him otherwise. But <laughs> until that happens, this is, this is the one and only final show for him. So um, show him your love. And then also for everybody else here, um, we, uh, just got to bring in this one last guy here. Clover Tech made it in here now. Um, just, uh, getting things underway. Like I said, uh, we're going to do this and, and have as much fun as we possibly can, but it is a tough subject. So without further ado, I'm going to hand it over to the panel members to kind of give an introduction to who they are. Um, we can start with Hypoluxia and we'll go right across the top row there to drop it like it's got right after that. And then drop down below. Sounds good. Uh, Hypoluxia, uh, and you guys can call me Patrick or Hypo. Uh, I am uh, just nobody really. I hosted a co-hosted a YouTube gun stream with somebody else uh, for the last couple of years, and I came up with this idea, and I, I brought it out to to TP probably about a year ago. And I'm really honored, and I want to just say thank you for for sticking with it and and actually making this happen. Yeah, this is definitely new for me. I've not done anything this serious on the channel. We typically cover news and BS a lot around here, so appreciate it. Uh, Scott, if you want to give yourself a little quick one. Hey, uh, I'm driving like it, Scott. Uh, I'm a uh, YouTuber out of uh, Orlando, Florida. I do gun reviews, uh, range time, and stuff like that. And I just uh, appreciate being a part of this panel, and I uh, hope we can uh, shed some light on a lot of subjects. Awesome, awesome. Uh, JT, I don't think you'd need too much of an introduction, but I'd love you to kind of talk about some of the things that people might not know that you do. Uh, well, you know, I've, I've been working in the gun industry since around 2007, 2008 in the uh, visual side. Uh, so started off as an, as essentially a film and design and ad agency and then moved, moved our way into brand creation our own with uh, guys like Matt Best and Evan Hafer, eventually creating what's now Black Rifle Coffee. And then lately, uh, been diving down the road of uh, veteran mental health. Uh, I sit on the board for the Veterans Experimenting Treatment Solutions organization, uh, specialized in, in looking at alternative medicines and ways to get veterans off uh, uh, prescription medication and, and, and ways to, to really improve and treat uh, the actual uh, injuries and stuff that they, they suffered overseas. Excellent. Thanks very much. Um, and for everybody here, I think I have links in the description for pretty much everything um, related to them. So, uh, Zach, you're up next. Yeah, so uh, Zach James, uh, author of the Modern Mercenary Thriller series, uh, Army veteran, eight years, uh, worked on both sides of the, of, uh, the mental health coin uh, in some aspect or another. And, uh, and yeah, just happy to be here. Excellent. Thanks for being here as well. Bri, how about yourself? Mike, you're muted, buddy. 
<laughs> you think I don't know how to do this for some reason. Well, first <laughs> off, thank you everyone for your service. Uh, I'm Brian, otherwise known as Brian the Biker on social media. I have a YouTube channel that uh, basically focuses on motorcycles. I do live streams as well as a, a focus on mental health when I can, uh, dealing with sort of my own battle. And uh, pleasure to be here. Thanks as well. Um, Sarah. Hey everyone, I'm Sarah Joy Albrecht and I'm the founder and executive director for Hold My Guns. We're a 501c3 nonprofit and we store firearms um, for people um, voluntary during times of crisis or personal need. And I also serve on the Northwestern Pennsylvania um, Veteran Suicide Prevention Program. Um, and I'm happy to be here. I'm the daughter of a veteran. So um, in particular, veterans health is really important to our family. Excellent. Thank you. And Chris Clovertech. Muted as well, bud. Unmute. There we go. You think I would know this? Amateur hour. But uh, Chris with Clovertech, uh, gun tuber, podcaster. Uh, got a few decades with youth shooting sports, uh, specifically dealing with youth. And then, um, you know, on the mental health side, have um, I've been friends with Michael Sedini and kind of watching Walk the Talk America grow for you know since its inception uh and taking that mission and kind of rolling that out uh been instrumental with that with some uh, gun shops here locally so big advocate for folks out there doing their part uh, as well excellent so um without further ado i would like to jump into some of the conversations so i'm really going to hand the show over to hypo at this point um and and we can you know dig in and uh start breaking down some of these barriers because that's really what this conversation is meant to do um kind of take a little bit of the faux pas out of it make it a little less taboo um and actually you know allow for the discussion to be had and so people understand and appreciate and know that you know maybe this isn't the forum for them to talk about it but if other people are talking about it it's okay to talk about it so um hypo without further ado buddy it's for you all right so i guess a little bit more about me and why this is so important to me um over the last i don't know uh 15 or so years i've been suffering with extreme depression and uh, very bad generalized anxiety disorder it's something that that i struggle with every day it's something that i i have to deal with and and this really all came to light because of a comment that somebody made to me, which was, well, you've got depression and you have guns. Obviously, you're going to kill yourself with a gun, which, speaking of taboo, leads into the, the first real question I guess I had for everybody. Um, and I think probably one of the, the bigger things, which is the, the stigma of, of being a firearms owner, being somebody who's an enthusiast or a collector or whatever, and having having depression having anxiety having any type of mental health or mental mental illness that would uh create a stigma around you owning those firearms um i i feel like there's there's got to be a way to break down some of those those taboos when it comes to that and, and explain to people that no just because i'm depressed i'm not going to go shoot myself because i own guns uh, what, what do you guys think? I don't really want to corral people into that, but. Well, it's all about, uh, I think it's all about self-awareness. I think that's where a lot of it starts. And I think if you're, if you're talking to someone that's potentially having problems, you know, that's the first step is for them to recognize that they've got an issue, right? First step in solving a problem is to admit there is a problem. Um, I, I tell a story on my end. Now I've never had severe bouts with depression or, 
you know, necessarily or anything like that. But I will say this, uh, for the longest, I, I would say that I do get depressed somewhat uh, in cycles. And I never really put two and two together. It was one of those things. It was really an awakening when I figured it out. I crave sunshine. So if we go through a bout of it's overcast, it's rainy, stays that way for days, and I can't get outside, and more importantly, get outside in some sunshine, um, I, I mentally feel bad. I physically, you know, just in a foul mood, a bad mood a lot of times. Um, and I physically feel bad as well. So it's one of them things that, you know, is that a severe issue that should hinder me from any of my, you know, God-given enabling rights? No, absolutely not. Um, but um, at the same time, if if I tell that story, and, and I don't have a problem talking about that now with Sarah doing the work she does and, and Mike and all of the other ones, I don't have a problem sharing that story. Um, and one of the reasons is I understand what the trigger is. I understand what's going on. I know it will pass. Sunny days will come, right? Um, and there's that that sunny day to look forward to. And so when I tell that story, um, specifically when I'm sharing with somebody that might be having issues themselves, it's like, what is that light at the end of the tunnel, right? Where is that end game? Focus on the, the future of your family, the future of your job. You know, find that that positivity, that thing you can look forward to, and just hang on to it until it comes, right? Do you guys feel that there there is a a defined stigma when it comes to being firearms owners and enthusiasts and at mental health? Do you feel like well, I think people so. do judge I mean, absolutely immediately? Yeah. I mean, you mentioned something that I, right off the bat is that I think that everyone thinks that if you have mental health, I suffer, and I applaud you for bringing it up. You know, I suffer from depression and really bad anxiety as well. I have my whole life. And I think it's sad that people think that, well, if you have depression, that means you're suicidal. It doesn't. Everything is a spectrum. And mm -hmm. I think people need to have an understanding that sometimes it manifests itself in different ways. Writing is my therapy. Um, but at the same time, we need to understand that depression is sometimes just not getting out of bed. And that's your biggest challenge. I've never once felt suicidal in my life. And it's it's offensive to me that that's what people think. People think you're depressed, that now, you know, you should be on a watch list, or you're depressed, or I'm sorry, not depressed, but you're suicidal. And I think people need to understand that it's, it's a much larger spectrum than going from one extreme to the other, much like everything in life. Sure. I think it's probably similar to what we were talking about off air about the uh, social media warriors that were you know, being arm, armchair uh, politicians. Everybody thinks it's it's one way when it's it's really actually. Well, I, I, I think I think another issue with it, too, is that, you know, unfortunately, the exception defines the rule in how people look at it. Yes. You know, the the small minority of people who do suffer and then make the decision to take their lives utilizing their firearm or whatever, uh, you know, because that gets so sensationalized, whether it be in reality or in media. I mean, we've all seen movies where that happens. We all seen TV shows where that happens. And it almost, it almost is the easiest way to comprehend it. Unfortunately, for those who aren't in the know, whether they are not a firearms owner or whether or not they, or if they don't suffer from anxiety, depression, any num any one of these number of ailments that it seems like many of us do, you know, if, if they don't understand, then it's easy for them just to sort of revert back to what they know, which is unfortunately what's been defined by the stigma. Well, I mean, 
I think I think we need to back up a couple steps here because someone sitting there and claiming that they've never been depressed is a liar. Like, 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 it's, it's an ebb and flow. Like, like, of course you're going to be depressed when bad shit happens. You're, you know, when things aren't going your way, you know, everything has a balance. So it's like, that's a natural form. It's a natural feeling. And guess what? No matter what, it doesn't matter who you are, how much money you are, have, or anything like that. Like, shit is gonna happen that sucks from the time that you're left off on your own whether whether that's a car payment insurance a a friend dying you know someone getting sick like this life is difficult but we have pretended for too long that 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 those difficult times and the feelings associated with those difficult times are somehow, Oh, it's a, it's a disease or something like that. No, that's just a natural feeling. Mm -hmm. Now, number two, the one thing that I don't think that we're serious with ourselves about, and this is a big problem is you're not going to listen. When you confide in somebody, you are not going to truly listen to them unless they have had it worse than you. That's, that's just fact. Because you're tuning them out if you know that their experiences don't weigh, don't, don't equal to the weight that's in your bag back there. That means if I'm sitting down and I'm going to unload on somebody, they better, they better have direct action missions, killed more people, done more things. That way I'm going to open up and listen to them because I respect them because they've done more than me. And I think that's something that, that when, when you're looking at confiding and actually looking for help, you have to realize that you have to target somebody that that is equal to or greater than your struggle because you will listen faster and you will actually react to it. And, and that goes both ways when you're trying to tell somebody that's in the bottom flow that you just need to talk to somebody. No, it's not just somebody. You need to talk to somebody that will be effective that you'll listen to. And that's very specific. I mean, I have to have this conversation a hundred times a week because the DMs that come in for people that are, I have a friend that's suicidal where you talk to him. Well, it's like, hey, this guy needs to start with the people or this girl, whoever it is, they need to start with the people that know them because I don't know what a random person is going to do that's going to make you like, like it just, it goes over your head. It's going to, it's going to help you for 10 hours and you're going to be right back in that low point again. So when, when it comes down to looking for help, when you're in that pit, you need to identify who you actually will listen to. That makes sense. I, I, I agree completely with the, uh, the subject of you saying that people get depressed that happens constantly you know life sucks it's it's really difficult sometimes i think that a lot of people don't know the difference between clinical depression actual depression something that keeps you there and just being depressed and i think that leads to a lot of the uh uh preconceived notions they have you know they see people oh i'm depressed on tv and then they they shoot themselves i think that there needs to be more education when it comes to actual mental health mental conditions like real depression real real clinical depression patrick i like what you're saying there about how you know it's so important to not just say well like the difference between someone who might just be feeling sad and someone who has a clinical diagnosis and i think a lot of times those 
those terms or I'm depressed or I'm suffering from mental health, they're kind of used interchangeably. So it's always important when we're talking to people about mental health to understand exactly what it is and not make assumptions about, you know, what that person might be um, trying to have victory over. And I think it's it's very important that we not just kind of treat everyone the same and and just say, oh yeah, I was sad once. I mean, that's that feels like a slap in the face for someone that is truly, truly struggling. And Brian, I appreciated what you were saying too. It's like a spectrum and, you know, um, and there are good days and bad days. And, and um, you know, just because someone is um, struggling with depression or OCD or generalized anxiety disorder or whatever, like, all of that can look different for different people based on their life experiences or, you know, the kind of help that they've gotten over over the years. Uh, it can look different. And so we can't just look at people and assume that just because, you know, it's a one size fit all for a particular diagnosis, too. It's a spectrum there. Um, and, you know, JT, I, I really appreciate what you were saying, too, about, you know, people that say, oh, I've never been depressed or I've never had a hard time. Um, either they're lying or that hard time is coming and they're about to get their ass kicked. So something I like to do, um, we it, it's a link in our bio for all of our social media, holdmyguns.org. We created a um, personal safety plan that people can download and it helps people to think through before they get into a crisis. Um, what are some of my markers for a baseline? What are some of the things that, you know, if... Um, if, if they come up to the surface that they're really going to give me a hard time, um, you know, and, and to think through those things and then also to have a plan for um, who am I going to call? And like you were saying, JT, like you want to reach out to the people who you know first, who know your baseline, who, you know, someone that um, like my, my one of my close friends, Genevieve, she knows when I'm having a bad day. I don't even have to tell her. You know, so surrounding yourself by people who you can trust, who will keep your secrets, who but will also say, hey, um, something's off with you. Do you want to talk about this a little bit more? You want to go grab a drink or something? Let's discuss this. And someone who has your best interest in mind. And then, of course, with our safety plan, we always encourage people to have a plan for storing their lethal means, whether it's their firearms or their sharp objects or their medication. We want to make sure that people think through those things before they get into a crisis. Because again, you know, I could be driving to the grocery store, hit an ice patch, flip my car, and all of a sudden my whole life has changed. And I think not only is it, um, not only is it silly and short-sighted to say that could never happen to me, it's also a horrible blind spot from a, you know, a perspective of being prepared and as gun owners to just completely ignore that the things that happen in our lives could potentially affect um, how we are, um, you know, able to make good decisions about our firearms. So anyway, I, I just, all of the, I'm excited that all of you guys are, are thinking through this in this way. And it's already very encouraging to me to hear this conversation. I think um, what what Sarah touched on and JT touched on as well is, is finding that person that you have that you can actually talk to. Like JT was saying, have somebody who's been through worse than you have. That's that's a key thing. And then also just having that group of people that you know that that's someone that you can go to and be like, I'm having a whirlwind of of season, and just having that person who's going to have your back at all times 
and they're not going to turn around. They're not going to stab you in the back, but just someone it's, it's that core group of people that you have. And I think this is a, this is a good transition into people knowing that there are people out there who have gone through so much stuff. Mine is from years and years and years ago. I'm, I'm not prior military. I'm not law enforcement. Um, mine was from when I was a teenager. So I dealt with all kinds of garbage growing up. So I looked for people who I could put in my circle that I know I could rely on. <clears throat> and there was a, a buddy of mine who was in the military who also helped me out in that aspect of things when I was going through some rough times as a teenager. And there's a lot of, a lot of stuff that happens within the, within the, the youth age as well with depression, anxiety, suicide as well too. So, so one thing I wanted to, to point out because uh, Sarah, you said it like, and I know we're, we're kind of diving into this in a different angle to lay a baseline, which is I'm fine with, because I think we're getting some good things out. Imagine there was a pill that made you more depressed when you started feeling like this, would you run to and reach for it when you started feeling like this and, and just take it and take it and take it. Like, would anybody want that? Oh, no. no. Nobody would want that. But yeah, a bottle of something that made you feel more. But but what does everybody do? do? Yep. That, they yeah, that is absolutely a, true. They go and grab a bottle of mm -hmm. a depressant and they they flood it with that. And I think that's another <laughs> thing that we don't address at this is, yeah. is, is you're not being honest. And I say a majority of people are not honest with themselves when they really want to nip this in the butt because they're making it worse with the, with <laughs> the items they choose that they think is going to make it better. Like, oh, yes, yeah. it's not, it sounds ridiculous when I put it that way of wait, a pill that makes you more depressed. Okay. Hmm. Well, what is that? It's a short term fix because people, people don't want to address it. No, I understand that. Sure. Uh, I, I don't, I don't necessarily even think that it's a short-term fix, and this is just from my perspective. That that statement goes for anything that anybody has in their life, especially when it comes to formally formulating a change for the better. I'm a big dude. I've tried to diet a million fucking times. It doesn't change a thing, right? I'm, I'm. It's diet. It's exercise. It's, it's a million things. But there's a lot of people who, no matter what you do, if you don't address the core issues, you're still going to continue to do it. You know. You don't want to live that way anymore. Well, stop fucking living that way. It, it's not as easy. Like, I think that it's not as easy when you're talking about mental health. And I think some people think it is. And I think that's where there's kind of that stigma. And a lot of people who want to talk about it, maybe they're talking to the wrong people and they don't realize that they're trying to talk to the wrong people. But it's like, well, you just need to talk to somebody or you need to see this person and maybe just get on some pills or, you know, try to figure it out and not address necessarily the core issues. And that that's what makes it harder for a lot of individuals to talk about it, too, um, which in turn, a lot of people turn to the bottle. But I think realistically, especially in America, we are very heavily dependent on, you know, subjugating our minds with chemicals. And, and it's just kind of been ingrained in us as a society that this is what we do. So we have a baseline that's already fractured, which means you, the, the foundation's shot, right? You're building a house on a crappy foundation eventually you're going to have to rebuild that house. So what are you doing? Like 
you continue to fracture the foundation or do you begin to work on building that house stronger? Sure. Well, and, and, I, and, and on top of that too, uh, talking about the, the cracked foundation, I mean, up until recent years, you know, finally that stigma has started to go away for, for most of the population, but especially, you know, how many of us guys, you know, when we were feeling sad or whatever, growing up, tough it out. You know, what do you mean you're sad? Suck you got nothing to be sad about. Suck it up. Yeah. It's, uh, yeah. it's like what Tony Soprano said, you know, Gary Cooper, be the, uh, the strong silent type. And for the longest time, that was, that was what was expected. Well, and that goes into, that goes into also, you know, I mean, we're talking about sort of the first person and, and, you know, realizing from the first person that there's people out there, but there's also people out there that they're aware that they're having issues, but they're of the mind, like was just pointed out, like it could be worse. I'm not as bad as that guy, or I'm not as bad as that girl. Right. And so you suck it up and you suppress it because it's like, well, it could be worse. Right. I'm trying to help. I'm helping these people and you neglect yourself in the process by not talking about the issues you're going through because you feel they're not important enough to be talked about. So there's that level of it, too, where at some point you have to take care of yourself. Well, and yeah. I think that brings up. Yeah. The, sorry, God. No, no, I think it brings up the point, too, that we all have a different level of where we break. And people need to you know, understand that, you know, someone that, that deals with whatever, it doesn't matter. You're going to have a, a, a different load level that you can handle. And it's important to understand that, you know, the simplest thing might break a person that day. This seems simple to you, but, you know, maybe just, I don't know, a bad email or whatever, send somebody off. And, and it, it's, it may seem simple to the people that around you, but they don't understand where your headspace is. And well, they don't, they don't get that it's a straw that broke the camel's back, right? Yeah, it's yeah, never that one thing. It, it, yeah. all, it, it all fills the bucket to the bucket overflows. And, and it's usually not even related to that. The, the straw that, you know, or the catalyst is usually not even related to what's going mm -hmm. on. It's something totally silly. In, in terms of... of you know, go into the bottle for things too. I think it's very unfortunate that uh, alcohol kind of is ingrained in gun culture. Like anybody who's ever been to SHOT Show knows Circle Bar and they know that, you know, a bunch of bearded guys that are drinking like crazy. And, you know, how many of those guys are, are dealing with mental illness? How many of those guys are, are dealing with, with depression and stuff like that? And, and how often do they carry that stuff home? Oh, sorry. Got the tactical <laughs> seal there. Uh, real quick, for those of you guys who are actually dealing with, and not saying like nobody's dealing with, but the guys who are working with people in the industry and trying to, you know, help not necessarily just guys either, but um, is there a particular subgroup that you would you would say has a harder time actually coming forward and talking about it? And has there been anything that you've seen that you can kind of help? to bring them through that. And I know, I know the military guys, nobody wants to talk about it, right? You know, it's kind of just whatever, but even in the military, I know there's different subgroups and, and people who are more willing and apt to talk about things than others. But um, just from your experience, what, what are your thoughts? Uh, well, I, um, I know with my, with my groups of friends that I've had from, military experience guys that who were in the military when I was a contractor and all that it um you know it's it's very guarded up until you reach you reach a point of camaraderie like I've got four guys that I worked with who were 
we were all contractors, completely separate walks of life. Um, when we first met each other, you know, you, you wouldn't tell someone you're having a bad day. But after some of those shared experiences we had overseas and all that, um, you know, if one of us is if one of us is messed up, you know, you you got people to call. And but it takes it takes those shared experiences and 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 in that particular group, you know, knowing what those guys have been through to finally get them to come forward, myself included. Um, but I always, you know, and even when I first joined the military, and I'm, I'm young, I joined the army in 2011, you know, when I, when I was 17, but even back then it was sort of the same thing of like, what do you mean? What do you mean you're having a rough time? You know? And, uh, and everyone was sort of, sort of guarded and no one was really willing to come forward with that until, you know, it, like for me, I, I, you know, I was having a rough time back around the 2015 timeframe and it wasn't until one of my, one of my NCOs saw it and basically pulled me to the side and went, Hey man, I'm seeing a lot of signs in you that I went through back in the day. What's going on with you? And it's, I think that, I think the biggest thing is just having that perception of, I don't want to be seen as weak because I can't handle myself mentally is what stops a lot of guys from coming forward. And it's that's part goes back to that opening uh, conversation we had about the stigma and everything that's associated with it. Mm -hmm. Well, yeah, that I, has I a lot to do agree. with people that, you know, same thing with people that are in the public eye. Right. I mean, so we're all here. We're all obviously on YouTube. Uh, many of us have channels. We do social media. We do things like that. Uh, it could be the same for, you know, the mayor of a town, some local politician, you know, what a newscaster, whatever the, the case may be. Right. And so, you know, they keep things guarded because it's, it's, you've got the stigma of the outside world looking down on it. And then there's also a stigma of you looking down on yourself. Like, mm -hmm. You know, that's a real thing too. And so for a lot of people, they feel ashamed, like, you know, and, and again, it can go back several ways. I mean, they either feel ashamed because they, I should be tougher than this, right? I should be able to handle this, you know, or they feel ashamed because they feel like they, uh, well, I guess, like I said earlier, I mean, they feel like they're taking up resources or they put, they're putting a burden on somebody and they're just not the type of person that likes to burden other people. But again, at some point you have to be selfish. Yeah. But I, I also like think that, um, like, like pointing out that that you you are you know when you're trying to suffer through this like you're only given a, a small percentage of yourself to to whatever the joint team task is so it's like hey if if you're gone in here i'd rather you say hey man i need a day i need help first and then you come back 100 percent. we can get things done like and that's the thing you got to step back and you know Janelle, Dr. Janelle McCauley, who is a, a, an Air Force colonel that um, that is a wellness expert and stuff like she talks about the oxygen method, you know, in a plane, like put your mask on first because you can't help other people if you can't breathe. Yeah, I mean, we I think that that's a thing, too, with um, just sharing my story a little deeper. We have a, our oldest child has autism and it's very hard to you can only give so much and it's, it's very hard when you don't look at yourself and realize that. And I think JT, that was a really great point is that, you know, even in the civilian world at work, you know, if, if I'm giving 10% and I'm making, you know, the rest of it's all mistakes, 
it's better to take that time and refocus, you know, even if it's just in, in my own uh, even personal life, than it is to try and give 10% that's just going to cause 97% of a problem. I, I just kind of want to tie into that. Um, for 11 years before I founded Hold My Guns, I was a doula and childbirth educator. So I helped women throughout pregnancy and delivery and then postpartum. And so a lot of my clients, I specialized in um, clients who had experienced trauma. And, uh, you know, when you have that kind of subset of, of, uh, of clients there, you're also going to run into some postpartum depression and that kind of a thing. And um, you know, something that was really sad to me um, is that a lot of times these women would go to their doctor and their doctor would like prescribe that magic pill and be like, oh, well, you just had a baby. So how about you try, you know, Zoloft was a, is a favorite one that OBGYNs tend to just give out like candy. And they don't <laughs> talk at all about like, are you getting support at home? You have a new baby that's keeping you up all night. Like who's helping you with your meals and your dishes? And are you setting time aside to rest and take care of your basic needs? Uh, do you have friends that you can talk to? Do you, uh, are you getting out of the house, you know? And so it just is so heartbreaking. You know, a lot of the work that I did with my postpartum clients was just helping them to think through what plan do you have for day to day and who can you call, you know, don't shake your baby. <laughs> Literally, you know, that's, it's, it's sad, but a lot of times dangerous situations happen because like Clover was saying, you know, it's just all of these things. And finally one thing just breaks the camel's back and all of a sudden you have a shaken baby and you have a mom that's, you know, having a suicide crisis. That, that's, that was a lot of uh, the, the work that we did was helping to prevent that. So if people are out there and they're like, well, you know, I am considering medication. I don't want to say never do that because I certainly have seen that be helpful, but always do, it was always important to do the work. Do not expect that medication is going to be some magic thing that's mm -hmm. just going to cure everything. You're still you. You still have the problems that you're facing every day. Uh, you're you still have the you know your responsibilities every day, and no amount of medication is going to take care of that. It's Sarah, well, an SSRI and SSRI is fake. It's it's stopping your brain from from taking your serotonin up, and it's just flooding you with a fake feeling. Like, and, and, and that's what you have to understand. Like you really dive into what some of these things are because it's mm -hmm. not a fix. It's not, it's not a fix. Like, right. It and is and just, how many doctors it, even like do a blood work panel to see what vitamin deficiencies are? Well, you no, know, like yeah. serotonin is something that your gut helps to manufacture. Right. So if you're taking a medication to give you like to boost your serotonin, but you have, you know, a problem where you're having you know, food digestion issues, right? And you don't fix that, then it's just this bottomless pit, just keep throwing medication at it. So for people that are out there like, oh, what should I do? Please take this conversation and realize like, hey, it's, it, I have to put in the work. I need to address some of the issues here, including my overall health and, and dig a little bit deeper. If someone's trying to sell you something like, oh, just take this pill and it's gonna make everything better. It just like you use car sales, <laughs> like run, you know, like you really want to have a holistic approach to your physical health, your mental health and managing all of your life. Um, and I, I really appreciate the honesty about that, about how many times people are just prescribed something, but they're not, you know, it's a 15 minute doctor appointment, take this survey and all of a sudden you walk out with 
you know, medication that could potentially damage you for the rest of your life. And they don't even give you a plan to how do I get off of this if I'm feeling better? You know, it's scary it, stuff. It's hard too, because for the average person, you get bombarded with that. I mean, it, it's advertisement. It's the doctor wants to give you a fix. It's big pharmacy trying to sell something and not to go down that whole rabbit hole because I'm not going to, but it, it's you, most people don't want to walk out of the doctor without a fix. So it, it's, it's the solution of, well, here, try this. I dealt with that in my first marriage after my divorce was, it was like, well, here, try this. I was jacked up. And then it was like, well, this is, what am I doing? You know, you made it a thousand times worse because you're not, you're not doing the work to correct the, the issue. You're basically just, as JT said, you're flooding your brain with something else where there's a more positive outlet that you, you need, if you can find that positive outlet, that's half the battle. Right. And, and just real quick, I mean, for me, um, you know, my wife literally was on various medications for a long time and nothing would help. And what she literally found it was taking time for herself. You know, it sounds, you know, cheesy, but yoga, it's not necessarily the act of yoga, but it was the fact that she was dedicating time for herself to get into a zone where she was thinking about just her. And I think a lot of people don't have enough of that now. Everybody's worried about keeping up with the Joneses and, you know, I got to work, you know, everybody's boss has the mentality of there's 24 hours in a day, God damn it, get it done. And, you know, there's a point where you got to say, but you're paying me for nine, fuck off. Like, <laughs> this is, this is the, the truth. And a lot of people don't do that. They bring their work home. They're constantly on their phones, paying attention to the emails, paying attention to what everybody else is doing. And they never take a moment to kind of reset themselves. And that's where, I found the best benefit. You know, my wife is completely off medications by just doing that, taking that time for herself. And, and you need to set boundaries. Right. Yeah. It's huge. And boundaries people, are huge. you know, the medications, medications can help as a Band-Aid, but it's still just a fucking Band-Aid, right? Rip it off and got to deal with the situation at the end of it, right? You got a bullet hole in your leg. You can't just stick a Band-Aid over it. Eventually, you're going to lose the leg. Well, and that, that goes into that goes into knowing what's going on, because, you know, I, I see it where there, you know, there's multiple causes, right? There is environmental cause for mental issues and there's there's actual physiological something in your body is broken, whether that's hormone levels where that's brain trauma or, you know, and in those situations, certain medications, I think, can be beneficial. In more environmental situations, I see medications more like cold medicine, right? I mean, they and alcohol would be the same way, quite honestly. They mask the symptoms, they help the symptoms, but they're not addressing the root issues. It, it, to, to go on record, too, like I, I do feel that uh, some medications can be beneficial. Um, personally, I am on an SSRI, but that was after um, an extensive blood panel. I, I spent uh, days at the Mayo Clinic in Phoenix going through and was prescribed after a few hours of discussion with a psychotherapist and uh, psychiatrist. Yes. Uh, and, and I feel like it's really helped. It's, it's helped me find a, a new baseline, but it's not the end all fix you know it gives gives a moment to breathe and be able to actually evaluate and, and look at what the the core of the other issues really is right well i found too 
Sorry, 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 right. I just want to kind of bring us back to the stigma talk for a second. Um, and, and with the clinical depression and, and actually being diagnosed with it, um, how much, and this is, this is kind of a question for, for, you know, those in the field, how much do you believe that maybe the constant conversation about red flag, the constant conversation about, you know, taking a person's guns because of it creates some of the stigma where people don't want to talk about it, especially in a community like in a country like America where people don't want to give up their freedoms and rightfully so. But are we, you know, even it doesn't matter what party and I'm not even going into that, but people talk about the, the politics of it and, and the actual, well, if you have mental health deficiencies or you have this or that, or you're, you're adjudicated, you shouldn't be able to do X, Y, or Z. But you're creating a stigma where you're making it harder for people to talk about it in my mind. But what do you feel like your mind? Thank you. I was going to actually pivot to that uh, as part of the, uh, the the stigma talk is that, yeah, I, I feel like red flag laws, especially here like in Nevada, uh, are, are definitely creating more of a, a barrier between people being able to discuss mental health issues with people that they some should trust or, or finding people that uh, like psychologists, therapists, anybody, when you speak to somebody, you never really know. And with red flag laws, you're, you're really putting yourself out there. So it's just easier to just say, no, I don't, I don't have guns. I don't have any problems, whatever you avoid one or, or the other and kind of fragment your yourself when you're talking to somebody, because for me personally, firearms are a very big part of my personality. I, I love my guns. You know, shooting is my therapy, like Brian said about riding. Uh, but you tell a therapist that you, you don't know if they're going to go to the cops and go, well, wait a minute here. He's got a stockpile. Right. Yeah, I'm, I'm in that same situation. I mean, for me, you know, going to the range and, you know, they call it lead therapy for a reason. You know, you, 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 it releases some something inside of your, your body for chemicals chemicals inside your body that help you get a grip on things. And then going back to um, the whole whole process of just taking a step back and looking, looking forward into what, what's the root cause of why you're, you're having to um, look into the potentials of therapy or medications, take that step back. What's, what's the reasoning of it? Well, it's interesting, too, that, you know, you go to a doctor. I remember with my first wife, when we were having my son, you know, the first thing, the OBGY, they fill out this questionnaire. It's like, do you have a gun in the house? I'm like, what does that have to do with anything? And I was surprised that after my son was born, the people that would ask me, you have guns in the house. I'm like, this kid can't move, like literally cannot move. And you're, it's already in the discussion. It's, um, yeah, that's. I don't know why that seems to be the first question that everybody jumps to it. And to your point, it brings up that you have to be very hyper aware of who you're talking to, regardless. And especially in this world with social media, I mean, you guys as creators all see that, you know, you put something out there and it lives forever, you know, and it's, you're living under a microscope with that. Yeah. I think though, uh, everyone here is answering this in a, in only with a logical, you know, with our experiences that we're, we're, we're on a different spectrum. You know, everyone on this panel is safe with a firearm because we, we've, we've grown yeah, up with that professionally. Everyone, you're, you're making the exact point I was going to make. And like, that's fair. This isn't coming from us. This is coming from situations like Devin Patrick Kelly, who 
rolls into a church and smokes 24 people and they had a thousand signs that this was going to happen and the air yeah. force failed mm -hmm. to to report convictions and thing all these things that led up to this like this is where the argument is on the other side and mm -hmm. if we want to have a if we want to win over the people that that are scared of that we have to be prepared to get hit with that of like 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 you ha we have to arm ourselves with an educated and a legitimate response to that red flag conversation because that's where they're going they're going but yeah but why did that guy have so have so many so easy access and so many guns and this dude was a lunatic like and that's where we as a collective group Mm -hmm. rather than standing around beating a flag saying shall not be a fringe infringed we need to arm ourselves with good talking points and mm -hmm. facts and solutions that make a middle america mother comfortable with people like us and people in our community that own firearms yeah i 100 percent agree i think that's the biggest thing that's missing from all of this is the dialogue and, and education uh people are so quick to to just get yep defensive about the subject you know especially when it comes to somebody who's on the other side from us they they immediately go straight to the bad place and i i agree I, you have to be prepared and and arm yourself with with educated and answers this, and this extends too to the the new firearm owners or the aspiring firearm owners i had a conversation just a couple of weeks ago um through youtube comments and then subsequently emails believe it or not um with a lady that, you know, commented that her husband was going to buy, they were going to their first gun show and they'd finally decided they were going to buy a firearm. And I was like, that's freaking awesome. Keep me in the loop. Get, hit me up on email if I can help. However, let me know. And, you know, it led to another conversation where she was, we hear it all the time. I'm scared of guns. And it's like, okay, well, I, I coach on a range with 800 they're not all eight-year-olds, but it starts that early. And so if I if I have eight-year-olds that are not afraid of guns, what what's going on? Why, you know, help me out. Why are you afraid of guns? Let's 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 dive into this. And she re she recognized that people have depression, anxiety, all of these things going on, right? And I'm like, my answer to her was like, but here's the thing. Understand the, the reasons that that those things happen in your life that's that's first and foremost and try to take care of those whether that's curbing the triggers or whatever it might be and then second separate that to an extent from responsible firearm ownership because part of responsible firearm ownership is knowing safety right is locking that away is knowing your limits right when i'm aggravated or whatever knowing that's put up telling a loved one that that's there get it out of the house whatever the case may be but being responsible with it right uh, but that was a legit concern and I, that's something else that i don't hear often enough i hear about existing gun owners that comes up with red flag laws and stuff like that but i don't hear a lot of conversation with the new or the aspiring gun owners that recognize those issues right and they're worried about them and i don't want to change the subject but um, since that come up well you brought up a good point right there that and this is a fact that is never reported nowhere how many violent gun crimes are committed by somebody who has legally purchased two or more firearms in their lifetime it is so ungodly low 
Yeah, it's tiny. That is the conversation you have to be pointing at. You have to show that that number is in the dirt. So, so yeah. that means creating more and bigger and, and harder gun laws aren't going to fix any of these problems. And this is what I mean. You, the, Our group and everybody that is a fan of our group and a fan of the Second Amendment has to arm themselves with talking points like this because these are the things you have to say when you're talking to somebody that is that is the opposite side of the spectrum that wants to shoot holes in 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 this argument you sure. have to i think as cringy as it is i think one of the people that, that does describe a lot of these things really well is uh colian noir when he breaks down a lot of the statistics that he sees uh and and i think with new gun owners in particular easy to digest information like that to, to be able to give that to them and say okay here here's what you're going to encounter here's what you're gonna you're gonna have to argue you know your your point be respectful but here's the facts you know in, in terms of suicide rates in terms of of duty involved shootings uh, all of those numbers adding up to a massive amount of the sum total of, of firearms deaths in the u.s i've always found that when you take it out of the conversation of guns let's talk about capacity limits that's the first thing i can think of people will tell you well you don't need a 30 round magazine you know you don't need a 33 round magazine for your clock whatever you hear that all the time well you don't need a car that goes 190 miles an hour and when you when you bring that up someone goes well i don't do 140 miles an hour 180 miles an hour okay well i don't do mass shootings like it feels like if you can pivot the conversation and compare it to something else that's less scary for lack of a better word, it, it seems to resonate better with people. Or maybe so, something that they understand better. Yes, it's something but, they can comprehend more. But with but with the magazine limit thing, here's the here's the issue. The two thirds of all firearm deaths are suicide. The mm -hmm. number of magazines, the number of rounds a magazine can hold to stop suicides is zero. That's complete and total infringement and banning guns, right? <laughs> Like, you don't need 30 rounds to commit suicide. You only need one. Oh, or sure. What I'm saying is if you take the... So if your goal is to save lives, magazine limits don't work at all because... Oh, no, that's just... Goal is to save, if your goal is to save the most lives, let me back up. If your goal is to save the most lives, magazine limits don't work at all, period. Mm -hmm. Well, I was just going to say, like, I, I don't like using the arguments of, of this, is like, coming down to the the... A lot of people said, you know, when the military was being forced to take the COVID vaccine, they were like, well, you know, you didn't have a problem with all these crazy vaccines back in the early years of the GWAT. Well, that's not that doesn't make it right. Like right. You, cannot, you cannot say, well, because because we ignored it, then we're then right. So it's like 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 you have to bite this in 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 the neck. At what problem does that solve if 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 we're not allowed 30 round magazines what problem did that did that solve us okay let's go to the data if we were to look at our data violent gun crimes and 30 round magazines weren't available did we stop any violent gun crimes oh whoa probably not so so it all i think it would be like a fraction of a fraction if you did that <laughs> what right. problem are we solving here <laughs> well i think another overarching problem that comes from this this discussion of the of trying to inform the other side is unfortunately there is always going to be that and it seems like it's getting larger by the day that subset that just 
does not want to hear it. They are so set in their ways because of because of how politicized it's gotten, how polarized it's gotten, and everything that you could you could cite data with sources and everything all day long until you're blue in the face. But you know, there's just gonna be those that don't want to hear it. And unfortunately, those are the ones that seem to be the loudest on the other side, anti-gun, gun control, and all that. And those are the people we're fighting against. And how do you how do you present a logical argument to someone who will not will not listen because they're not approaching it with logic they're only approaching it with emotion and you know that's it well i'll say i'll say one last thing really uh logic will never beat emotion no matter what so the conversations are oftentimes (laughs) not worth even having with those individuals but we're kind of getting down a different path here more along the lines of how to argue the gun ownership and gun control um, as opposed to how to maybe have the conversation about the mental health aspects of it. And and just to kind of bring it bring it back into to that just a little bit more, I, I think all those conversations are fantastic to have. And, and everybody's right. We definitely need more real-world ammunition in our pockets. We need less Ben Shapiros and more people who use their brains and not their mouths, right? It, have to do the research ahead of time, have to have the conversation and be able to move through that. But as, as far as actually having the conversation around mental health and gun ownership with individuals, I think people kind of just need that, that visceral moment of reality where like JT said earlier, everybody goes through depression. It ebbs and flows. And just because today you're feeling great doesn't mean tomorrow your world isn't flipped upside down like sarah said too like my wife works in hospice like there's people in hospice who are 40 years old there's people in hospice who are 90 years old and um you know she's also worked with people with disabilities like all of her life and there's individuals who you're born perfectly normal and just in a blink of an eye your life is flipped upside down and some people take that as an opportunity to preach on how you can be better and do this and that and and they don't let it turn their life upside down and and put them into a bad place i'm sure they went there at some point during that process but they've come out on the other side and they're talking very healthfully about it and and doing things and there's others who it completely destroys their life they become angry they they lash out at people it's the depression anxiety portion that just consumes their life and it's you never know. I think that visceral like moment where like you are not immune to this, that can have that conversation. You know, it, it, people need to see that side of it. I think. And I think it, we're in a, I think we're in a touchy time right now too. When you was talking about anxiety, I just happened to think about this. But number one, I mean, for two years everybody's been cooped up, so our social interaction. I'm talking are not specifically us but everybody our social interaction has has dwindled right being able to publicly communicate and talk with other people um and then the second thing that i run into with uh i got covid back in like october um i got anxiety issues from it like legit anxiety attack issues from that so when we need to keep that in mind with the environmental changes that people have went through so for the last two years the whole mental health perspective or whatever um has changed somewhat and does that continue to be the case moving forward i don't know but it's it's worth keeping in mind i think it's important to note too that um you know in 
2021, there were 5.4 million gun purchases by new gun owners. And I think that we have a responsibility as a firearms community because we love our community. I'm a range safety officer. I, I like one of my favorite gigs is I help teach young people ages eight to 18 to shoot rifle. We have like a precision rifle team. It's really cool. Um, but we love our community and that's why we're here. We're not, we're not doing this out of fear. We're doing this because we genuinely care about our friends in this community and we care about our families in this community. Um, and when we, when there are new gun owners that we could reach out and say, Hey, by the way, you know, yeah, some people talk about red flag laws, but um, really it has to do with self-governance. And there are programs out there like hold my guns that if you ever get into a situation where for whatever reason, you know, maybe you have a teenager who's in crisis in your home, you can voluntarily store your firearms. It's an option. Or, or here are some other options to make sure that you um, can take care of what's going on in your home and take personal responsibility. And when you can have conversations and give options to people and promote self-governance and dignity and self-determination, the likelihood that they're going to be able to get through that is so much more increased than someone that just immediately has their firearms taken away and their rights taken away and you know has a long legal battle ahead of them because they failed to take care of problems when they were small. So I think, you know, it's important to remind our community there are options out there before things escalate to where your neighbors are reporting you. I also think it's very important that we always speak up for due process and that we remind people like that how um, mental health concerns can be weaponized to take away people's rights. And we hear stories about that all the time. So it's important to say, hey, if you genuinely care about people, you're going to find a way that actually promotes healing versus giving them a lifetime of legal issues and um, having rights taken away. And when you put it like that, then people are like, oh, yeah, I guess I really do want to promote healing. So how can we work with someone and give them agency so that they have an outcome of uh, of getting over whatever it is and, and finding support? So I love to turn it back around that way, too. Um, rather than a fear-based argument, one that actually advocates for people to advocate for themselves and give them options. All right. Thanks. Um, not to take away, JT does have to head off. So everybody, uh, thanks JT for your time. Thanks, um, JT. Um, it's been a pleasure. I appreciate any conversation we can have around this. So it's been wonderful. All right. And then with that too, Sarah, uh, you were kind of talking about it a little bit with Hold My Guns. I do want to dedicate a little bit of time here, about 10 minutes or so, whatever you want to talk about specifically related to Hold My Guns and, and definitely kind of introduce people to what you guys have going on. Um, I'm going to really give you the floor and however long you want to, you know, talk about it. It, it is for you because this is, you know, I think your organization does some amazing things and it is one of those situations where, um, we absolutely appreciate the work that you do. So um, I'm going to turn that over to you. And then, uh, yeah, uh, it's, oh. it's all yours. Thank you, James. Um, so Hold My Guns, you can find us at holdmyguns.org or on social media at holdmyguns.org. And what we are is a 501c3 nonprofit, and we partner with gun shops, FFLs, but particularly retail locations across the United States. And we provide voluntary firearm storage for people during times of crisis, like a mental health crisis, like we were discussing tonight. Um, or it could be a time of personal need, like during deployment or while someone is selling their home. 
Um, and I have to say, since SHOT Show, um, we had two, we had two gun owners reach out and they stored firearms because there were crisis, crises going on in the home. And so I'm really proud of that, that, um, that we provide an option that helps to save lives and support our community. I also like to point out that um, you know, we help to protect property and we help to preserve rights. And any time that we can help support gun owners um, when they have things going on, all you know, life can get messy very quickly, like we were talking about tonight. But whenever we can support gun owners and empower them um, to be able to handle their personal matters, it does help to preserve rights. And when we think that, um, you know, I think the current statistic is 54% of all firearms related deaths are suicides. Um, it really underscores the important for us, importance for us in the firearms community to take leadership on this issue. If we can provide a liberty-based option, then it really does just knock the legs out of legislative uh, approaches to this. And it actually, um, it helps our community in a way that keeps the government out of our business and it helps to protect um, our firearms and helps to preserve rights. So that's really important uh, to what we do and, and why we do it. I founded Hold My Guns because we lost an 18-year-old friend to suicide by firearm. And my kids came to me. Um, I'm a range safety officer and the, and the kids in the community came to me and they were like, mom, Mrs. Albrecht, like we really care about um, preserving our rights, um, you know, but what are we gonna do? Our friend is dead. And not everybody has a friend or family member who can help. And clearly there was a need for um, some distance from lethal means there. And so I um, looked into how are we going to help this, help support gun owners when they're in this, uh, in this, this area of life, when they're concerned. And uh, I met with Joshua Prince, who's a firearms attorney out here in Pennsylvania. And he helped us to come up with a process that um, reduces liability to gun shops, but also supports um, gun owners in a way that um, that they can store their firearms at a, at a licensed gun dealer. And that's very important because not everybody has a friend or family member who can help. And even if they do, they might not have a firearm safe. Uh, so, you know, what if they have like a two-year-old running around? They don't, you don't want to have that kind of a, of a negligent shooting because someone has unauthorized access. But what if someone who's a friend, you know, they have um, a firearm safe, they have, um, they're lawfully able to store firearms for you, but maybe they're a gossip and all of a sudden everybody knows your business. So especially for folks in law enforcement or um, with military backgrounds, um, jobs that you have to be very careful about, um, you know, what you uh, are able to disclose about your your the private matters in your home because it can affect job, which that kind of stigma then can prevent people from getting help. It can be an obstacle. We wanted to create a way that they can store their firearms off site without having to, um, you know, have gossip. So it's a professional service. The other cool thing that we do is provide educational opportunities. I am a certified QPR, it stands for question, persuade and refer um, instructor. And we encourage folks in the firearms community to get certified in suicide prevention so that they can identify when someone on the range might be having a suicide crisis, um, to know how to ask good questions, how to encourage them and then refer them to appropriate resources. Um, so that's a big part of what we do, education. And then we also, um, help to bolster the firearms community by providing 
um, educational and volunteer opportunities through our firearm storage partners, uh, like volunteer opportunities that help to um, get gun owners out of isolation and do good works in their community that they can really feel proud of and help our community to shine on many levels. So we're really proud of that. Um, I was excited. We recently raised over $27,000 um, from fundraising efforts that happened at SHOT Show. Um, very cool, active self-protection, Mantis, H&K, and um, Palm Industries, Pepper Spray. They all contributed um, 5,000 each to, do to match donors' um, donations. And so that's really gonna help us in 2022 as we move forward. Um, I plan to be at the Girl in a Gun National Conference um, teaching a uh, certified course for QPR suicide prevention training. And we plan to be at the NSSF range retailer show to reach retailers and let them know about this tremendous opportunity that they have to um, help their customers by providing this firearm storage service and community advocacy. So thank you very much for letting me share about that. Again, you can find us at holdmyguns.org or on socials at holdmyguns.org. We are always looking for volunteers to help get the word out. Um, and uh, we're, we're just, we love our community. We're very grateful um, for the opportunity to encourage people. That's really what we're about is presenting about this topic in a way that brings hope and encouragement and strengthens our community. All right. Thank you. Um, you guys will notice a new addition into the stream. Michael Sodini from Walk the Talk America. Welcome to the, uh, to the absolute, um, not shit show. This is like the first time we've not had a shit show. So I appreciate everybody coming in. So <laughs> Thank you for uh, having me. Um, real, real quick, there was a question, Sarah, to you in the chat from from one of the the individuals who's asking, kind of like, what about NFA items? I know you guys do store through FFLs. Um, NFA items are a touchy subject. Like you, you've put a lot of money into it. It's a tax stamp. You can't transfer. It. You can't do this. Can't do that. Um, are, is hold my guns able to with at least the majority? of the, the people they work with able to handle NFA items, or is that uh, a no-go? Some FFLs are licensed to handle NFA items. If you run into that situation, let us know, and we can try to find one that can meet your needs. We also work with um, a few um, storage partners in, in this space who have like warehouses, and some of them have NFA um, abilities too. So just let us know. Um, but yes, you're right. You have to be careful about that. So. Um, it, that's really a big, uh, I guess, obstacle that we have are that there are laws out there that we're always having to work around, which is why it's so important for us to have partners in all 50 states um, and to have partners who can handle things like NFA items. Right. And so I, quick, yeah. um, how, how does an individual say uh, if you are you run an FFL or, you know, you have an FFL, how, how does one get involved um, or get in contact to get involved to, to make that set up because it is a, a unique thing and, and not a lot of people. I, I'll admit until three weeks ago, I had not heard of Hold My Guns. Uh, the first person who actually uh, turned me on to it was Dark from DLD After Dark. And then uh, Chris obviously reached out and said, hey, you should talk to these people. And I'm like, I literally sent you guys a message yesterday, but like, <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, I should. If a gun shop wants to get involved, um, feel free to reach out. You can reach us at info at holdmyguns.org. And what we do is we provide a contract that is, it's like a template that they can provide to their customers. And it is filled in with their state specific laws. 
Um, and that, like, you know, for example, with a state that has a waiting period that has to come into play there when a person picks up their firearm, um, it, we can store non-serialized critical parts um, that doesn't require a firearms transfer. So keep that in mind too, um, you know, whether it's like a, a barrel or a firing pin or something like that. That is a way for individuals who are concerned about a background check. We use a consignment return process um, for a firearm that's serialized. Um, but for folks who might be concerned about that, there are options as well. So um, again, if you're interested, if you're an FFL out there, particularly retail location, um, and you'd like to get in touch with us, email us at info at holdmyguns.org and we'll send you the information packet. Perfect. Thank you. Um, yeah. So um, I don't want to bore everybody uh, or anything like that, but I don't believe it'll be boring anyways. Michael, I, I would love to open the floor up to you as well to kind of talk about what Walk the Talk America is. Um, probably the one single thing that has consumed more of my time in the last week and a half than anything else after finding your podcast and listening to old episodes. But uh, I, incredible stuff you, you do over there. And, and this, what we're doing tonight, just so everybody knows, and, and I'm sure he'll speak it to it as well. What we're doing here tonight um, as a special event type thing, Michael does all the time. So um, I do want to open the floor up to WTTA and, and Michael himself and, and, you know, say, hey, like, what are you guys doing as well? I appreciate that. And thanks for having me. Um, my name is Michael Sedini. I'm the founder of Walk the Talk America. But before I kind of dive into that, I want to give you guys my background. Um, I'm a third generation firearms, I guess, industry professional, right? It's the best way to call it. Um, I got into firearms through nepotism. Uh, my family owned one of the largest gun importers in the United States. And eventually I went on to uh, become the president and sole owner of it. And uh, I didn't grow up a gun person. I grew up in two of the worst places you can grow up for guns. I grew up in Asbury Park, New Jersey and San Francisco, California. So guns to me was something that was always in my family, but it wasn't something that was necessarily part of my life. I didn't go hunting. I grew up in cities. So getting into guns, it was kind of interesting because I, I didn't really care. You know, it, to me, it was a business. I mean, I thought it was cool, but it, it wasn't something that like something I lived and breathed. Um, but that also helped me because I got to go into the gun industry and kind of observe and notice things and one of the things that i did notice is that uh and i got back i got into the industry i came into the industry like in 99 left i came back in 2006 and at the time we wouldn't talk about suicide or mental health it was something that could be weaponized against you so it was uh it was one of those things like like the movie twister where they can't talk about an f5 tornado nobody talks about it and in 2000 nine the president of my company and one of my best friends took his life with a firearm and what i found was very odd about the whole situation is his funeral was like a who's who of the gun industry but nobody talked about it there was no magazine articles there were no nothing in our, our um you know industry rags or anything like that and we just kept it moving it was kind of like he killed himself let's keep it moving we can't talk about this this is the stuff that and then i applied that to everything else Right. Because if you work inside the firearms industry and you attend trade shows, if you go to the NRA show, the great outdoor show, you go to all these shows, you see all these vets coming through. And the one thing that the gun industry holds near to their heart are veterans. And we'd see the same thing. Like the next year, the following year, someone wouldn't be there who is a familiar face. And it's like, what happened? 
oh, that person took his life with a firearm. Keep it moving. All right, so I always wanted to change that, but I never knew how. But in 2018, I was out with my national sales manager. I was in New Orleans. We were celebrating the deal we closed with Lipsy's as a major firearms distributor. And we ended up taking a stranger, complete stranger to dinner. We met her at the bar. She was alone. She's a nice lady. She's reading a book that my national sales manager was reading. He said, come sit with us. You know, it was a crowded restaurant. And she didn't know anything about guns. So she said, what happens during a mass shooting? And I said, well, everybody blames us. We blame mental health. And then nothing ever gets done. And she asked one question that changed my life. She basically said, so if you've identified the problem, how do you work with the mental health community to figure out solutions, solutions that would be good for you, solutions that don't have anything to do with legislation? And you know, we were about 11 bucks, so does deep, so I'm not going to lie. But we were, <laughs> we were like, we don't. And I became obsessed with that idea because my national sales manager was like, hey, man, why don't you donate a dollar a gun to you know mental health? And he's like, with everybody we know in the industry, you could probably get other people to donate money to mental health. And and so originally what it set out to be was a quick fix, a way that the industry should could show good faith to the mental health community. It's like, hey, we do care. You guys have the answers. Uh, what if we were to give you the money that you talked about that you, you don't have, that all the cutbacks, all the defunding of mental health that's happened over the years? What if the gun industry were to come up with that? Because I was like, look, everybody likes money. I mean, even the mental health community takes huge money from big pharma. So what I found was that they didn't have the answers. And it was one of the most depressing days of my life because I had went out and created a, an organization based on we we're going to have solutions. And I need those solutions to come from the mental health community. And I had got I have a board full of, you know, people like Colleen Noir and, and the president of NASGW, Kenyon Gleason. Um, I have the lawyer from Glock on my board. You know, I had gotten these people excited about this idea and it turns out there's no easy fix. There's no easy solution. So I partnered with Mental Health America, who was I had to find somebody that was gun neutral. And they came out and clearly said, this is going to be an unpopular opinion. But our opinion is that you, can't, you don't take away the rights of people that battle mental health, right, that struggle with mental health. So I knew that they were the organization that I needed to partner with. But I just didn't know how because they didn't have those answers. Like I said before, I was looking for these quick fixes. What are the things we could do to have outreach? But one thing that they did do is they kept steering me back to suicide prevention. And at first I kept saying, look, I want to do that too. Uh, but I also want to stop mass shooters. And they're like, finding the next mass shooter is like finding a needle in a haystack. And the funny part about all that is it wasn't the anyone from the firearms community at all that was telling me focus on suicide prevention. They're all like, this is a great idea. We need to do something about mass shooters. I mean, we're talking about 10 out of 10 people in the firearms industry, but we're talking 10 out of 10 that I would talk to in the mental health community was like, stick to suicide prevention, try to get upstream to prevent the unpredictable. Because if you can get that number of suicide by firearms down, then you're good. So that's what we did. We basically pivoted. We looked inside ourselves and said, look, we can't give you legislation. That's a no-go. We can't even have a conversation about that. But we can give you certain things. We can give you valuable space. We can give you resources. Um, what are the things we can do? So one of the first things I did was I created a movement with bands at gun shows because I wanted to get people talking. And this is this is coming up on four years now, but I was passing out free mental health screenings that are powered by Mental Health America at gun shows. And I was just taking in the information. Like people would come up to the booth, start talking about their issues. And uh, then I realized this is something that needs to happen. 
and something on a larger scale. So it, I graduated into creating this flyer and basically with this flyers, mental health, it's okay to talk about it, but it leads to the link that's on our website that leads to the, the 13 different mental health screenings that are free and anonymous. I started putting them in the boxes of all my firearms. I used to bring in 60 to 80,000 firearms a year. So uh, that was that was another experiment. Like, let's see what happens if we put this in the box. What kind of feedback are we to get from people? And people would call the office and they're like, I just bought one of your guns and I see that you have this in the box. I want to thank you. Or they, they'd share, you know, these stories all become anecdotal, but they would share a story about how it how it affected them. So then I said, well, why can't I just start going up to different gun manufacturers that I've known and grown up with in this industry and see if they'll do it too. So I went to arms Corps, I went to high point. I was like, you mind putting this in the back in your, in your box? And they're like, what is it for your anonymous mental screenings? And they're like, that's awesome. Yeah. So then it became more of this movement about how I could work with manufacturers. And we have manufacturers at like every level, like optic companies, ammo companies, um, really encouraging and being a resource to get people the help they need when they're in crisis without fear of consequence. And that led to us working with mental health clinicians. So we also teach a course where we give continuing ed education credits to mental health clinicians to learn about gun culture. Um, that's one of the most popular things we do. Um, why is that important? Because clinicians don't understand us and we fear clinicians, right? I've, I've been listening on and off all night you guys are hitting on some of the same subjects that this this really entails like uh but it's important right it's important because one thing is gun owners is what we we always say is if people just took the time to understand us and and that's what we're doing we're bridging two uh you know the gap between two communities the mental health community and the firearms industry and we're looking for these creative solutions now you know i know we're we're pressed for time but that's led to other things too uh i can truly say we're a resource uh, for everything from legislators to lobbyists, um, we're we're about to enter that field ourselves and do some lobbying where we could actually chip away at some of these archaic and silly laws that make zero sense. Um, for example, when you can't uh, pass a gun to somebody in a, a time of crisis, there's no good Samaritan law that doesn't make sense, right? So we need to start start bringing this these type of issues, uh, bringing this attention to it and making people that don't understand us understand. So that's kind of just the quick 10 minute speech of, uh, of what Walk the Talk America is. Well, that's impressive. You you literally did it 10 minutes, right? Yeah, that was it. Man. <laughs> oh, that's good. That's good. Yeah. I, said, I said, I said to these guys, I said to Sarah and I said to Mike, you know, I'd really love to give you guys like 10 minutes or whatever, just to kind of talk about what you guys do. Um, I still extend the offer if you want to stick around, hang out, and talk. I don't think time is limited. This is this is the thing. Like, um, I do want to kind of hold the show to about two hours, but that gives us about forty minutes to have really good conversation yet. And I, I really, the the conversation is more important than ten minutes of my time, right? So that's that's the big thing here. Is like, I I think that you know just having the conversation and, and you guys do amazing work um like i'm seeing even in the side chat uh ghost tactical here says you know he he puts the flyers up at his local gun store clover does the same thing um that that's incredible you know the co-packing working with the, the manufacturers stuff like that that's that's awesome like it it's a thing that's so easy to be done and it's such a a small thing that you would think of 
but it makes a, a huge effect. It's it's a ripple effect, right? Just just having that put in there offers potentially, you know, the saving of one person. And that's kind of the whole thing. Like if you can save one person, then it's been worth it, right? Um, but we all know just that little wave, that little bit of work saves more than one person. Well, it also and, creates, I mean, one of the things, special things about the card and, and for guys like Clover and, and Ghost to do that for us is great. Is the back, we leave the back open for the gun shops, right? And what we do is we have a, a network of clinicians after they go through our course that that speak gun language or at least understand it. And it's great because what we do is we try to, we're not going to necessarily turn someone who's like anti-gun and hates guns into somebody who's just like, man, I need to go, um, you know, now I'm, I'm all in it's happened. We've had, we've had clinicians come to the, to the range and shoot and say like, yeah, I really like this. I'm going to get into it. But we have most of the people that we see is like, I used to be anti-gun now I'm gun neutral. And why that's important is because if they can speak the language and they understand things like lead therapy, you know, I heard somebody talk about that earlier, um, going into the gun shop and having the local clinician who's taken our course and is certified and gotten the CEUs and their information is on the back. Um, that's a place where people can go because that's where they trust the information, you know, especially people like first responders, right? They trust our community. They trust the gun industry to give them proper information and not lead them down a wrong path. So it really is connectedness between the two communities. Um, you know, there's, there's a lot to this. And also just think about this. I want everyone to think about this. You know, I, I heard people talking about the, you know, we got on the anti-gun thing earlier. Um, when you provide solutions to people that only are coming with, you know, anti-gun rhetoric and legislation, they, they have nothing to say. Um, and I'm living proof of that. I, I've gone into literally circles where I've with, been with the most anti-gun people and I've, I've talked and talked in front of their group of people and they've never seen anything like this because their expectation level of gun people is so small that they just think we're going to say pride from my cold dead hands. And I'm like, look, let's say pride from my cold dead hands. And here's what I'm doing to be better than you. Like we're actually addressing things. Your legislation means nothing. It's only going to get more people killed. More people are not going to come forward. How about these for solutions? And that's how we have to combat that. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. I've always said that the, uh, the dialogue is, is probably the most important weapon that we have. And to be able to actually listen to the people that have that anti-gun rhetoric and, and be able to just come back and say, Okay, well, here's why you're wrong, but not, you know, the the cold dead hands argument. Actually listen, be intelligent about it and and be thoughtful about their concerns because they're sometimes legitimate. Mm -hmm. Right. And I yeah. think, you know, the other thing too is it's not even just the gun community. Bri can, you know, attest to this too, the biker community, like everybody, you know, thinks it's so crass and you're just going to be this this person, but I mean like it's it's the same type of thing and I I do and, and you know, the mental health aspect of it, it, it affects every single person. It affects everybody just, you know, just as much as the next. And, you know, being able to just, you know, even go past the whole, it's not, you know, it's not even about the guns. It's about the depression and what you're making it, you know, or the anxiety and what you're making it into. And like, let's take that out of it for a second and let's address the mental health aspect and, and let's address that first. And, and then if you really want to continue to talk about the gun issue, like that is what it is, but you know, there's things that are in place, unfortunately, even from a legislative standpoint that 
you know, make it faux pas that make it hard to talk about. And and one of the things that we did want to talk about tonight, and maybe we can, st- we'll start talking about it now is essentially like, look at the 4473 itself. There's literally a question on there. Have you been adjudicated deficient? Like, mm-hmm. what does that mean? Are you not allowed to, because you've had a, you know, what is that, you know? And, and, and talking about that, I think is a big thing too, because it, it does make it where, well, I don't want to talk about that. Like, I, well, I can't and go I to think- the doctor. For you too, like uh, the experience you've had about having to fight to restore your rights whole. Um, and I don't know if you've talked about this much on air about, you know, coming back from yeah, uh, I mean, I've being a felon before, and, but... and being able to, to restore your rights as a gun owner. There's there's the same struggle that's going to be involved when it comes to mental health and, and adjudication and, and getting the help that you needed at the time. And that turns into this negative thing years and years down the road um, as a, a small anecdote. I know somebody who they had been held for for their own safety probably 25 years ago. They're um, 30 years ago and they're a, a veteran. They, they came back. They had a lot of problems because they came back. You know, they came back quickly. All the stuff that's surrounding, you know, being a vet and mental health and they had tried to take their own life and now legally they can't own a firearm 30 years later down the road. What I believe technically it's, it's a state level thing where they can put a a statute of limitations on the time before and currently, but it's such a struggle to be able to restore yourself. What, What are you guys thoughts on that? I well, I actually saw a comment earlier on the uh, on the main channel chat uh, from uh, from Linda Lucas Cronk, who is a is a close person to me, and uh, she said that a person needs to be judged on long term patterns, not a single moment, and I think that applies exactly to what we're talking about here, um, and I think that that can be expanded on even further. Of okay, what were there you go. Thank you. And it needs to be expanded on as to, okay, yes, this person had a moment that's different. Like this, like this individual you're speaking about, what, what was, what was the context behind it? You know? And if you, if you go further into that, you actually look into it and you, and you realize that it's a human and it all goes back to the understanding discussion, you know, something is wrong. They're going through some shit they are not themselves. They're not the, they're not at their baseline. They are at, you know, they can't, the, the straw has been broken and it, it's things like that that need to be considered. Um, unfortunately, that's not part of the process nowadays. Well, and, and yeah, I think that speaks to just the whole incarceration process. There's no, absolutely. Out. It just becomes an endless cycle. And, and to your point, you can, you can have a bad day or bad days, bad years, but that doesn't, of the accumulation of your lifetime could be just a small episode. And I think it's a shame that we judge one event on a person's life. You know, it's, and I'm, I'm, I'm a living example that I had, uh, you know, back in 2015, I had, I had a January 23rd, 2015. I had a bad day. Just, it was the culmination of a bunch of different shit. I had a bad day. It ended up costing me a scholarship and I am still dealing with the repercussions of that almost 10 years later because of a bad day and because, you know, no, 
A, I brought it on myself because I didn't talk to anyone about it. But also, no one, no one really took the time to go, hey, what, what, what were the, what was the lead up to everything that happened? Mm -hmm. And uh, and so I, I get it from a personal example. Mm. Now, thankfully, that didn't affect my my ability to be able to purchase and own firearms. That you know, I I would have had a real big problem <laughs> if that uh, <laughs> if that were if that were the case. Um, but it's it's all about context and understanding. And you can't, you know, unfortunately, too many people and too many government processes just take things at face value. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the problem too that we have, and it's one thing I've learned about dealing with. Um, I would say people that are, are lean more to the left or have, uh, you know, left ideation when it comes to firearms or say mental health organizations is a lot of the things that we care about, like we're laser focused on, they don't because they're not into firearms. Right. So what I have to do is every time I look at a bill or I have someone come across, you know, you had mentioned my, my podcast earlier, uh, the guns and mental health podcast. Um, one of the episodes I'd encourage all you to, guys to go listen to is the Sandy Richardson um, uh, episode. And basically, Sandy is in New York. New York has what's called the New York Safe Act, which really isn't so safe. It's just a, a way to get your gun rights taken away. Um, but, uh, you know, the, ser- the scary part about when they do that in New York is when you go and you actually have an issue. And even if because it's temporary, you definitely can lose your firearms rights and you may not even know about it. You get put on a list without being notified unless you're a concealed carry holder you're not going to find out until you go and you get you know turned down but they but back to what i was originally saying is i look at everything through the lens of how does this bill stigmatize mental health and how does it screw over the underprivileged underserved like that's how i look at it right i i go those two things is what i look at and then when i talk to somebody on the left or i talk to you know mental health america I bring that to their attention. I literally sit there and highlight that. And I go, doesn't just screw over the single mother from Compton. And they're like, what do you mean? And I'm like, she's working three jobs. Like she didn't have time to go defend her. So they're like, getting like, Oh, I didn't see it that way. They're not looking at that way. They have their, but I truly believe that a lot of them have good intentions. They just don't know what they're doing and they don't know what they're looking at. They're not looking down the field. And that's why it's important that we, we continue to have those conversations. And even if it feels like you're talking to a brick wall, you know, like you said, Find a way to talk to them where you can meet them where they're at, validate their concerns. Like, I'll give you an example. I was talking to someone from Mom's Demand Action about two months ago. And uh, she's like, my sister took her life with a firearm. Like my, my best friend, president of my company did. Boom. We had something in common. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. I was literally saying, like, yeah, it's a real thing. That's why we're out here today. We're going about it two different ways. Right. But she thought she thinks she's doing something good. She does. Like I, I can see it in her face or she wasn't being malicious. You know, she's just a, a wounded animal at that point, just like I am. Right. So, you know, we have to we have to look at these things and, and really take it into consideration and uh, and start getting out of our echo chamber when we complain about them. Right. Because like everybody on here understands like that doesn't do us any good. No. <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, 100%. And and that's the thing, too, is understanding where people are coming from in a conversation when you're talking to them. Like, my wife was raised in an anti-gun family, and they had very good reason to be. Like, um, we I've talked about it before. Like, she, she, her parents or her grandmother came home from school when she was in, like, the sixth or seventh grade and found her dad had shot himself in the garage. And upon further you know, walking in, she found her mom too. So it was a murder suicide. And 
So gun, I mean, squirt guns weren't even a thing in their house. You were not allowed to have anything that looked like a gun. If you were caught pointing your two fingers like you were shooting a gun, your finger got broke. Like, not allowed. So um, obviously not because that would be abusive. But that's that's how far it went. Like, it was not a thing. And And if you so much as talked about it, my wife took Hunter's safety because one of her boyfriends prior to um, – was had guns around and she felt that it was her duty to be safe around them and, and understand it. And it caused a rift in, in the family. Like you're not allowed to do that. Why would you even think that's allowed? That's not, not cool at all. And she looked at it from a, I'm defending, you know, I'm, I'm looking at it from a safety standpoint. Like if I'm going to be around it, I want to make sure I know that I'm safe around it and what I'm doing. And that's a huge thing for her you know, to, to have done that and it definitely helped break, you know, into the whole, you know, now where she's, she's got her concealed carry permit. Like it's a big thing, but like, and, and just talking about it, normalizing it and being like, look, it's not like what happened was tragic. Yes. But it wasn't the gun that did it. It was some other thing that flipped a switch and the brain didn't function properly that day. And, it's it's hard to say that to somebody who's felt the trauma or or you know experienced it. I mean, I've watched I watched my one of my best friends growing up accidentally kill himself, like at a party because we were young and dumb, drinking, guns were involved, and he got his head in front of the barrel and ended it. And it wasn't even intentional. It was a complete accident. A complete this the guy would never commit suicide, but it was a negligent discharge and he ended up paying the ultimate price. And I don't blame the gun for that. It was not a mental health issue, but there's a lot of people that I know who went through mental health issues because of that, like seeing that and then bringing it back around to the guns. Like you were stupid with them. Like it's a tool that can do a lot of damage and you have to be responsible with it. But at the same time, like it wasn't, for a lot of people, the trauma wasn't caused by the gun. The gun was a component of the trauma. Well, there's a there's a common theme. I mean, we're, we're talking here about about you know mental health, and there's a there's a common theme, and it directly relates to some of the crassness crassness is that the word? Yeah, that I see in the firearm community, that is is pulled from what I call extreme right sources. That you know my facts don't care about your feelings. Well. When we're talking about mental health, feelings and emotions are a very real thing. So whether we're talking to someone that is hardened, anti-gunner views, scared, you know, admit that they're scared of them, whatever, um, acknowledging that the feelings they have are real, right? Now, whether they're justified is maybe a totally different thing, mm -hmm. right? But what they're feeling and the emotions they're having are real. So, you know, my approach is to try to find out why that is, you know, why do you feel this way? What, what, you know, what's going on with this, right? It goes back to that root cause thing where we start, where we started this whole conversation and in getting back to that, sometimes you can find a starting point to build on to then bring in the logic and the facts, right? And then they realize, Oh, I'm having these feelings, but maybe, and don't, don't try to cure them. Just put, calmly and 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 very carefully you know be interested in their their feelings and their emotions first and then introduce those facts and things to them 
and then back off and give them time to to think about that right and weigh that out weigh out the facts and and the figures with their feelings and then let them come to that conclusion that you know what it's it's normal that i'm having these feelings there's a reason obviously that i'm having these feelings and these emotions but you know what had that conversation with this guy i've went online i've done a little research now and looked into some things and you know maybe they decide that it's not justified and maybe they cross over that line and become a little more comfortable with firearms and then cross that line a little more and become a responsible firearm owner right. and then Understood. move into yeah. activism how many people have started out in that uh from mike to sarah to, to numerous other people that started out with you know in that arena of emotions and feelings and now they're some of the strongest you know activists that we have in two way <laughs> yeah i think you Oh, go ahead. Um, I think you hit the nail on the head when when talking with people who who aren't familiar with firearms. I think using using uh, rational conversations and being calm and not even if if that one particular person that you're talking to or multiple people that you're talking to, if they get defensive real quick and they start like trying to to come at you with their facts or whatever it is, just remaining calm and I think has has diffused a lot of the situations, especially when I'm talking to people who. Have, want nothing to do with guns and think guns are the even most coolest thing in the world. If you're calm and you talk with them and you you present a fact and let them chew on it for a little bit, they come back around and be like, "Yeah, you're right. I I, I see your point." And you kind of make that make that play into bringing them into um, the possibilities of being a gun owner at some point in time. They may never they may never go that route. Um, and also going back to, like you were saying, um, you know, growing up for myself, I wasn't even allowed to make my fingers into a, a gun or because my, my parents were very, oh, no guns. You can't, you can't run around with your friends going pew, pew, pew. Now my mom has more guns than I do. So go figure. Well, I also, I also think a big thing too, with, with approaching the other side and, you know, with logical facts and all that is you have to do, you have to much like everything in life. You have to almost take the crawl, walk, run approach to it, too. Mm -hmm. Earlier, we were talking about how Kola Noir breaks things down in a very easy, very digestible way. If you're talking with someone who is anti-gun or is scared of guns or whatever, and you just start throwing facts and calibers and all the nomenclature that we all know, it's going to just scare them and it's going to cause them to shut down and basically block it out because it's something they don't understand. You know, So instead of being like, we need guns to fight off a tyrannical government right off the bat. They're going to be like, whoa, that's way too much. Start with this yeah. is actually a tool. It's, you right. know, you can leave this thing for a hundred years and as long as it's not touched, it's not going to go off. And then from there you build it up to, you know, the, the advocacy thing or, you know, advocacy and usage and why the, why the rights are important and things like that. Man, if you just if you throw them, it's like it's like learning how to swim, but not effective. You just throw them into the pool, they're gonna drown under all that information and they're gonna freak out and not want nothing to do with it because they don't understand it. Right. I think the, the same thing can apply to to mental health and, and coming out to people about that as well, is you have to you have to kind of be the, the good guy and and show that it's okay. You know, we've been talking about you know gun ownership and and, and talking to the other side, but I think the same thing applies to people who don't have mental health issues, people who don't, don't express or, or experience depression and anxiety and things like that. And to be able to show them that, you know, it's okay, I'm not going to go blow my brains out because I'm a depressed person. 
to mm-hmm. to have a conversation and a dialogue. And I I'll, I'll say it for the a millionth time. That's the one thing I think we're missing the most, uh, in particular in our community, is that we don't tend to listen and then respond back to what we've heard. We we tend to just go re get off my lawn yeah. and and that's it and and I think we do the same thing when it comes to to mental health, is we say I'm I'm just having a bad day, and that's it and leave it well and it, don't discuss that or explain why. I, I think that there's at least for me some power in having that uncomfortable conversation with people not not in a heated moment not in a passionate moment but I had that with my employer. I needed to take some time off and there was you know, an emergency need for me to do that. And it was an uncomfortable conversation, but at the same time it was empowering because it's out there, right? If I keep saying, Oh, I just had a bad day. Oh, I just had a bad day. Sooner or later, I'm just, I'm just the slacker employee. Right. Mm-hmm. But if I come to you and say, look, I, I just left my doctor's office. This is my plan of action. This is what I need from you. You can either meet that expectation or you can't. And I think that we need, as human beings, we need to start having those uncomfortable conversations, you know, because we all have bad days. Bad days don't mean you're suffering from depression clinically. But we need to have those discussions and have it in a sense where people start to realize that it's a bigger, we we spoke about spectrum earlier, but it's bigger than just one thing and, and everybody deals with it differently. But if, if we can break that stigma of having that conversation, it's so powerful. Yeah. And uh, Michael, I applaud you. I think that pamphlet idea is brilliant. I, I, I absolutely think it's brilliant because it, it's a conversation that you can have with yourself in the privacy of your own home and say, you know what, you know, maybe today's the day or maybe it's not right. Or maybe this is going to my friend. But but I think it's a very passive way to start a conversation. And I don't mean passive in a bad way. I mean, passive in a non-threatening way to start a conversation, whether it's with someone else or yourself. Yeah, it's 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 that it's everything right. Like giving a person to be able to do it themselves. I want to plug Arms Corps real quick. This is their ammunition box. They are now putting the WTTA screening logo on the side of the ammunition box. Hornady's next. Um, another reason why this is important, guys, this is history. Um, we get, we get demonized all the time in litigation. And, uh, I had a couple lawyers come up to me in shot show and they're like, I wish I would have known you were doing this because I would have used it in defense to some of the lawsuits that I've had where now the gun company could say, we tried to get somebody help. We gave them the resources on there. Right. And I had never even thought about that angle of it. I just wanted to get people help. <laughs> like that was the whole yeah. purpose of this and get people to have the conversation starter. So, yeah, this is definitely leading to something. And, and and once again, if we do it ourselves, if the gun industry does it, nobody can make us do it. And we're already out front of it, you know, mm-hmm. and that's what they don't expect. So thank you. Though. I so, appreciate it. Yeah. For so well taking a proactive instead of a reactive stance. Yeah. Yeah. I, and again, I've it heard comes back to that. Go ahead. Okay. No, I said it comes back to that non-threatening discussion, whether it's, you know, firearms, mental health, it's it's presented in a way that it's a bit passive and you can sort of take yep. it in at your own stride. Yeah, you, you set me up for where I was going. So thanks. I was, I was following up. You, you mentioned the word you mentioned the word uncomfortable at least twice that I know of uh, pineapple up there and setting this up has mentioned it three dozen times. We all say use the word when we talk about mental health, especially 
Um, we talk about uncomfortable. We got to have the uncomfortable conversation. Why does it have to be uncomfortable? And I know, I know that safe spaces is a bad phrase. It's like mm-hmm. the left is co-opted and oh, you're the, whatever if you use it. But what's wrong with making somebody feel comfortable so that they can approach you? What's wrong yep. with working yep. on and, yourself and, and, and your approach to, to be more approachable? Right. And so that it's not so uncomfortable for people. I just I hear that word uncomfortable, uncomfortable a lot. And I'm like, is that an avenue we can work on where it's not so uncomfortable for people to reach out? Which I think is why this is so important in this what we're doing right now and what what Michael's doing and what Sarah's doing. I think it's it's amazing that we're able to just get out there and go, you know what? This is actually a thing. You know, it's not a bad thing. It just exists. This is this is the problem, and we need to talk about it and try to find a solution for it. it for me, it's not uncomfortable being on cameras. Very uncomfortable right now because, <laughs> as I've said before, it's been a long time since I've done this. But it's it's such it's uplifting to know that people really do care. That that as a community, as gun gun people, we're we're not those the ones that are saying you know your feelings and where my rights begin. We're we're not not like that and we shouldn't be like that we need to be taking into consideration people's feelings and emotions and and feel more comfortable with ourselves and who we are so that we're not forcing ourselves into a box we're saying okay i'm depressed i can't own guns i'm gonna be dangerous that that kind of situation is what what leads us to where the stigmas begin i think well and And i think too uh, Real quick, uh, I just I think too the big thing too about the uncomfortable situation or the uncomfortable conversation is because people don't want to talk about it, and the more we have the conversation, it becomes less uncomfortable, right? It's mm-hmm. it, it's the same with anything we do, right? You, public speaking is uncomfortable; nobody likes to do it, but when you get into doing it and you're talking to people and you're standing in front of a group of individuals or online doing it you develop a level of comfort doing it because you put yourself in an uncomfortable spot, right? That's, that's, it's essentially working out. It's, it's bettering yourself. Anything you're going to do is going to be uncomfortable to start and you push through that to make it comfortable. And, and that's where that comfort, uncomfortable situation where you had to talk to your employer, it shouldn't be uncomfortable. It's just, no, want to do it. It just, it, it feels that way because nobody else is doing it. And you yeah, so where I felt was, level. you know, where I was already in a bad headspace, right? Is this gonna is this gonna spiral out of control? Because now I, I've said, you know, now I've put it out on the table, right? And to their to their kudos, it was dealt with in a way I never expected. So my fear was was not rational. But at the end of the day, it's like everything, right? And once you have that conversation at that level, now it's on the table, it's gonna be easier the next time. Right. And, and that's, that's exactly the point that I wanted to, to make to follow up uh, as well, Bri, is, you know, you, you said that you said earlier how you can't just keep going, I'm having a bad day, I'm having a bad day, I'm having a bad day, because that's just, everyone says that. Where, and, and if you do that and you, and you sort of suppress it, it's, you know, it's like a pressure cooker. Mm-hmm. And it's going to keep building and keep building until it blows up. You have that bad day, you have that breakdown where, when you're at that point where you have your confidant or you're at the point where you can just say like, Hey, I'm messed up. Like, you know, and here's the 5,000 foot view of what's going on. Or if you're, you know, like my go-to is my old man. I come up, dad, I'm having a bad day. You know, this is what's going on. 
and it 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 it's like a pressure valve. It releases that, and it. I don't know about everyone else, but like when I do that, ah, oh, it puts me in such a better headspace because I'm able to actually get it out there and I'm able to think through and therefore work through whatever is going on in my life and and basically stop myself from that spiral and level myself out. And it also goes into the uncomfortable talk and how I used to be terrible with it. I used to be the worst when it came to trying to ask for help because I thought it made me look weak and I, I hated that feeling. And nowadays I got no problem with it because I've done it so many times, you know, and I can go to my dad. I can go to one of my best friends, be like, dude, I'm messed up. Like, I just need, I need to vent, you know, and they're like, all right, cool. What do you got? And it's, and it's because of that, that repetition and that normalizing it, that makes it no longer uncomfortable. And that's the biggest thing is normalizing that it's okay to ask for help and to explain what's going on, where your head's at, because once you identify what the issue is, you can work through it. Mm -hmm. But if you don't acknowledge that there's an issue or a problem or something that's bothering you, how can you fix it? Oh, absolutely. It's important to recognize too. I I love what Mike was saying. Like it's important to get ahead of things and, you know, taking, taking a a mental health survey or, um, and, and, and what we offer is that, um, safety plan so that people can have a plan and they can understand like what are their coping mechanisms and their baseline before they get into that place. Um, it's really important that we send that message out in our community because if things get to that pressure cooker level, then you are at a situation like, you know, we were talking about the 4473 earlier, where if you are involuntarily committed or you're adjudicated to be, to have, to be found, I hate the term mentally defective is what the 4473 says. And, and if you get to that point, then you can lose your rights. And so it might be uncomfortable to have that conversation, but if you can have a conversation or if you can be honest with yourself and say, I need to get help and what support resources are out there like Walk Talk America or Hold My Guns or um, Mental Health America or other organizations that are out there. If you can get those resources when the situation is small, it prevents it from escalating to the point where, you know, you you might find yourself involuntarily committed or going before a judge and being adjudicated. Um, and so that is a great talking point that we have in our community is, look, we don't want to we, we want to protect due process. We want to protect people's rights. Um, you know, we understand that there, you know, are, are maybe up to 2 million defensive gun uses each year. We don't want for people to be defenseless. So what can we do while problems are small to prevent them from getting to that level? And I also think it's important to um, kind of going back to that 4473 question earlier, um, people are afraid to talk about it because they're like, well, can I fill out a form in order to, <laughs> to buy a firearm or whatever? And it's really important to understand like, that in order to no longer be uh, qualified to, to purchase a firearm and to use that 4473 um, background check form, you do have to go before a judge or a, a legal board that can say this person is um, they're not fit to have a firearm. And it's a very different thing than someone, uh, and then being involuntarily committed is part of that as well as as part of the, uh, you know, if you can get disqualified for being able to purchase a firearm. And so it's very important when we're talking to people to, again, distinguish like, 
is this someone that's just having a transient crisis or or even if they have a long-term uh, a diagnosis that can affect them for their whole life, it's not the same thing as being found to be, quote, mentally defective. That's a whole different thing. And so it's a talking point that we can bring up and encourage people take care of things when they're small so they don't get to this level. But no, just because you have a diagnosis doesn't mean that you are prohibit a prohibited person. And yep. being sure that you can define those terms, prohibited person versus someone that just, you know, has a, a diagnosis um, can really go far in that conversation and becoming educated about what those different terms mean. And I think the gun community, because we're, we can be so afraid of losing our rights, we're even afraid to have that conversation. And so it's, it's just a great thing, you know, bring that up. Like what does the 4473 actually say? Um, and also it's important to note that you can get um, relief if you have, um, you know, gone through that adjudication process in the past, if you no longer have the same um, concerns that had you involuntarily committed or adjudicated in the first place, there are legal processes in place. They're expensive uh, and it's not guaranteed, but that's also an important thing that I think we can do more in our community is to advocate that would reduce stigma a lot. Like, hey, if this is something in your past, maybe you were involuntarily committed when you were a young adult, but where are you now? And bringing hope, I think that it would really turn around the stigma. It's not a forever thing. Um, if it, uh, and, and I think we can do more to advocate for that. Well, well you're saying sorry, it's all about it's, it's all about awareness, right? And that's what this yes. is all about. Um, and I was going to mention, we didn't spend, I don't think we spent enough time on the, on the cards that Mike was talking about, but you know, I wanted to talk about that a minute because ghost out there was talking about, he, you know, he's, uh, takes his to the local gun shop. I've actually got three now that they print their own. I don't even have to take them. Uh, but they not only put them, they not only have them on the counter, they put them in any used firearms that have boxes, any firearms that come in that Mike hasn't solicited the manufacturer, any firearm that comes in that has a box, they slide one in it. Anything that's a part or a gun case or anything like that that has a place to put it, they put one in it. So it's not even just in the firearms. And those local gun shops do that. Now, I provided them with the first you know, stacks of them, but they've taken it on themselves, which is great. And that's a challenge to everybody that is listening to this. You have a local gun shop. You've probably got a very good relationship with your local gun shop. And there is no way if you bring this thing to them that they're going to say no they're just they're not especially if you point to this podcast or, or any of the other ones that that mike or sarah are on talking about this um and i want to talk about how the awareness and and people it's, it's just amazing when people become aware that there's resources out there that they never knew existed and i've got two examples that happened on the same day and it's related i promise to the gun shop thing so <clears throat> I was talking to Michael about it. It's been years ago now. He said, go to the website. You can print out the the uh, the flyer from the website. So I did that. I downloaded it on to a flash drive. I don't have a nice color printer. So I went into Office Depot. I had my WTTA bracelet on when I went in. Um, but I went in there. I said, hey, I need to print them out. these out. The guy that took my order said, hey, what are these? And I told him. And he's like, do you mind if I do you mind if I keep a couple of these? And I'm like, absolutely. 100%. So they're printing them out. A lady walks up. She's waiting to get some stuff printed out. She sees my bracelet. She's like, what's that? I tell her. 
she has a conversation about, and I can't remember now, it's been too long ago, I've slept since then, if it was her sister or who it was, um, that was having some kind of an issue. I handed her a flyer. I said, here. Um, I go over to the local McDonald's from there to kind of make sure all the copies went right and divvy them up and put them in some little folders and, of course, eat lunch. So I've got them spread out on the table. I'm eating my McDonald's. And a guy walks by and he says, hey, what are what are those? And I give him one. I gave out like five flyers in a 30-minute window there. And it's just because I had them. They were available. They were out there, right? So I, I got to wonder if more and more people would put things out that catch people's eye. How many more people would become aware? And it's not even about keeping the flyer. Um, if you, even if you've got the flyer, and this is my opinion, and it, Mike, Mike may disagree with me on this, but you, you buy that firearm, right? You take it home, you open the box. Who pays attention to the owner's manual and the ATF, whatever youth thing and all of that, right? But it's in there. They're going to see it, right? Um, what are the odds, even if they threw it out, what are the odds that if somebody has some kind of a mental problem or they're depressed or they're talking about suicide, something clicks and they go, hey, that gun I bought a few weeks ago had a thing in it that said something about mental health awareness. And they call their local gun shop and go, hey, do you know anything about the flyer that was in that box? Right. Or maybe they get online and just do the Google foo, right? Firearms and mental health awareness. This podcast would pop up along with WTTA and hold my guns and all kinds of things, I'm sure. Um, and so it's the, it's the, it's the dribs and the drabs, right? Like no drop is responsible for the flood type mentality. And I think that everybody out there can be, um, a part of something huge and wonderful if they just adopt that approach. Small steps. Right. It is. It is exactly what it is. Small steps, inch by inch. Anything's a cinch. So yep. we are coming up on the two hour mark. And as we all know, two hours is about enough for most people to sit and talk about anything, <laughs> much less listen to it. So um, I do want to open the floor to everybody one more time to kind of just, um, you know, discuss, you know, where they're from, where people can find you, um, other things about it. Um it, it it's it's amazing you guys dedicated your time to this there's people who dedicate their literally livelihoods to this as evidenced by sarah and, and michael and i appreciate you know the work that they do and and everybody here does something some way or another whether you're here on this stream or you're in the side chat uh you, you are a part of mental health awareness whether you realize it or not um and every single person has the opportunity to help but uh to, to the people here, just please, um, we'll start with Scott. Uh, just let people know where they can find you and, and, and what you're about so, uh, you know, people know where to go. Um, yeah, so um, like I said at the beginning, uh, well, first off, uh, thanks for allowing me to be on this panel. It was uh, good times, good conversation. Um, I'm a uh, YouTuber out of Orlando. Uh, channel's called Drop It Like It's Scott. I do gun range, gun reviews, uh, encouraging thoughts. Um, I purposely put encouraging thoughts at the end of my videos for the sheer fact of there's so much, there's so much negativity in this world right now. And I'm all about being positive. I'm all about, all about spreading a, a positive message of hope and love and, and passion of what I believe in. And so that's why I put that in there. Cause I don't like negativity. I don't like being negative. 
Um, but my main thing is guns, gun reviews, range time, and all that good stuff. And it's drop it like it's Scott at YouTube, youtube.com forward slash drop it like it's Scott. Thank you just to interject real quick, if you guys have problems with the Ford Fusion and not being able to connect your sink, Scott's your man. <laughs> I found his videos because I had problems with my car. And I, and I went, wait a minute, I know this guy. I'm in the same Discord as him. <laughs> That's funny, yeah. Yeah, that video is from, what, like nine months ago, that, that Ford Sink video. It actually yeah. popped up as a recommended video for me. I'm like, That's funny. the last time I touched the Ford, I was pushing it for somebody. So... <laughs> Sorry. I know if you're a Ford person, I'm just, I'm joking. We all give each other crap, but at least it's not a Nissan. So, um, Sarah, how about yourself? Uh, thank you. This is a really encouraging conversation tonight. And, um, I am just, I'm really grateful. Um, I see ghosts put in the, um, in the chat. Um, we have locations. You can, you can find us there, holdmyguns.org. And if you click on the locations, we have three locations. Currently we have one in Missouri, um, one in Louisiana and one in Massachusetts. Um, and we have more in the works. We have one um, that hopefully will green light soon in Washington. And we have um, some in North Carolina and, and others in the works. So um, you can find us on our socials, holdmyguns.org. Um, and also if you, if you find that you need storage and you don't see a location on the map, please get in touch with me, info at holdmyguns.org, and um, we will do our utmost to help find a location. Um, and we are always looking for volunteers. We're always looking for new storage locations. And we're also um, looking for attorneys who can help with um, that process. We need to have attorneys who are licensed in the state of operation to just help us reduce liability to our gun shops there. So there are some needs. Um, and I just, I, I want to encourage people to, to look, to do, to go to our socials. And if you look in our link in our bio, you can download uh, that PDF for a personal safety plan. And I encourage everybody to do that, to, to get in front of a crisis before it occurs so that you have um, a plan for resources, including a place to store your firearms. So thank you again, everybody. It's been a pleasure to have this conversation tonight. All right. Thank you, Sarah. Um, real quick, I did want to come back to something. Ben Willett in the chat, um, Hypo's brother, for people who don't know, um, he said he, he just wanted to kind of talk real quick, and I wanted to come back to it. I, I forgot about it for a second, but I didn't forget about you completely. But um, can someone elaborate on being adjudicated? He was once upon a time held against his will um, because of a bad day involving a firearm, but he never committed a crime. Should I have been able to purchase... Um, I, I think the question is, should you be able to push it, purchase? I don't know. Um, being adjudicated is really about going through a court system um, or other doctoral system that ends up at a court level. Um, if a crime was never committed, um, if nothing was ever charged, most likely you are okay and there's no issue. So you should be perfectly fine. Um there's nothing on record. And, and to be completely fair, unfortunately, our the systems are so broken that even if it was on record, there's a good chance that federally it's not and you're still going to pass a next background check. So there are systems there that are issues uh, all around. Um, but at the end of the day, you should be fine. So uh, with that, Zach, where can people find you? What you're about? And, and for the most part, too, I do want to point out I've 
tried to do my due diligence and have links for everybody and everything they do in the description. So anything they're talking about, you should be able to find in the description as well. So, yeah. So, uh, so where you can find me, I'm primarily on, uh, on Instagram at author Zach James, Zach with an H as it says on the screen here, pointing is hard. And, uh, and what I'm all about, uh, I am a, uh, I'm, I'm an up and coming, uh, author. Uh, I write, uh, I write military thrillers, shameless plug. You can see him behind me. Uh, Deception came out last year. My next book, Wet Work, comes out on April 22nd. Uh, also looking to expand my expand my repertoire into the gun tuber sphere. Uh, working with some working some cool projects with some uh, some cool guys in the future with that. And uh, just happy happy to have been included in what I hope is the beginning of of a good movement of advocacy and normalization of of talking about mental health and gun ownership and the solutions that go that can that can come from this talk and i hope that it brings it more to the mainstream so thank you for having me and it's been great to talk to you guys not a problem glad to have you so brian how about yourself well i just wanted to say thank you I, this was a very calm and very intelligent conversation and speaking back to you know trying to have that discussion and not have it passionate. I thought it was a great discussion. Um, I can be found on social media by the biker. I spend most of my time on YouTube and Instagram. My YouTube channel is obviously a motorcycle related channel. Uh, I touch a lot on my mental health. Uh, we have a live stream and I have a podcast interview series where we try and talk about that. It's, it's not the focus of the podcast, but it's, it's more of trying to find that common ground and uh, talking to people about their experiences and how, a lot of people use mental health and motorcycles as sort of the catalyst for their healing. Um, I mean, that's it. It's a pleasure to be here. All right. Uh, Clover, how about yourself? Well, first I want to say uh, thanks pineapple for hosting this. It's, it's been awesome. Uh, second to all the panelists, uh, including JT that had to bail earlier, who was, was dropping some, some bombs early on in the chat. Uh, thanks for everybody that, that jumped in and, and shared. It's awesome uh, for for Sarah and Mike. They are definitely the two A rock stars. Me, uh, I'm just a gun tuber that likes to play around with fud guns and make videos. But uh, when there's two A work to be done, you know, um, you know, I'm not afraid to roll up my sleeves like most of us are and uh, and do it. And this conversation is one that that we need to have and. I employ the uh, the chat out there to, to keep it going. Uh, speaking of that, thanks for all the conversation in the chat. And if you've made it two hours in replay, uh, you're probably as big a rock star as Sarah and Mike, because that's amazing. <laughs> 100%, 100%. Um, Michael, as well for you, I do want to say we have somebody DM me right away in, and they want me to hook up with you about getting flyers to them. They are apparently extremely close to Palmetto state. They have a good relationship with them and they would like to take your flyers to PSA and see about getting them in some of their stuff. So um, we all know PSA does good work. They they're putting out decent product and, and, and just continue to push those flyers. Like it's a simple thing guys like that. And, and the link is available. The website is available. You can print it out. Um, but yeah, it, Anybody you know who can do it, man, it's a, it's a small step that can be a huge help. So uh, with that, Michael, where can people find you? Uh, you can find me at, at Walk the Talk US on uh, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And if you want to add another podcast to your collection to listen to, uh, 
We have about 60 episodes of the Guns and Mental Health podcast. We have all walks of life that come through there. We've had mass shooting survivors. We've had, I mean, we had Tupac's bodyguard's wife on there. Like we, we have all different types of people. Um, you know, some of them may even lean anti-gun, but at least we get to, to have the discussions. But for the most part, everybody's gun positive on there or gun neutral. Um, but that's where you can find us. Excellent. So, um, like Clover said, and you know, if you guys have made it to this point, you're a freaking rock star. Um, to everyone who did show up, thank you. I know you guys thanked me. I just was a catalyst for this, and and I do hope to help carry this forward and and do more of these panel discussions in the future on many different subjects going forward. So, um, this was just one. You know, hard topics are hard to to talk about unless you talk about them. So, um, like I said, everybody here, I appreciate your time. Um, I've taken up plenty of it on a Friday night. And uh, I I do know that for, for some individuals, it's extra late because, you know, it's you're not Central Standard Time. You're over there in Florida and enjoying, you know, even later evenings. And, you know, it, it, it's crazy, but we managed to pull it together. And, and oddly enough, 8.40 p.m. was a good start time for everybody. And I appreciate y'all for being troopers and coming in. I know everybody's tired. Um, and Hypo, if this is the last show for you, happy retirement um, <laughs> for everybody else that's here. I do appreciate it. We will end the show with this. Um, stay safe. Know that help is available. It's always out there. There's somebody who's willing to help you. And if nothing else, the helpline posted up and running at the bottom of the screen right now is a huge help. They can put you in the right place at the right time if you need it. So um, I appreciate each and every one of you for stopping in, hanging out, watching the show. Make sure to give it a thumbs up, share it out. Um, it's not self-serving for me on this one. I, I really think this just needs to be out there. More people need to know that the conversation can be had. It can be had in a good way and it needs to continue to be had by other individuals and every individual. So I appreciate everybody again, like I said, and with that, we will bid you adieu and I'll see y'all next week.